Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome everyone, nice and bright and early for another episode of Two Developers Down Under. I'm joined yet again by my chevily shameless partner in crime, Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? Good morning, Mark. I'm doing very well. How are you? Oh, it's 6.30 in the morning and I'm awake, so I suppose it's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. Uh, today you sound particularly tired, actually. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> so I think it was probably a bit harder to get, get out of bed now that we are officially sort of heading towards winter. And it's getting up and it's dark outside, I think, makes a big that, difference. It's really annoying, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. did you guys switch to uh, away from daylight savings? Or two daylight savings um, last weekend because we did. Yeah, we switched away. Yeah. Yeah, we too. And now it's getting dark here at like five thirty, six o'clock, which really, really annoys me. On the other hand, yeah. it's extremely good because I can finally get to some night flying around this time of uh, year. So I like it if I get up early to take the dog for a walk. I could when it went before at like you know early like seven a.m. or something. Then I get up and I see the sunrise as I'm walking, which is lovely. But. Uh, yeah, now if I get up that early, it's stuck outside. I think you just have to get up earlier then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that. So today's um, recording number 20, isn't it? It who, is indeed. Who would, have, who would have thought that we make it? It is indeed. <laughs> so what happened today? Did you find a few funny things? I did, but you said you found a lot. So I've why got, don't you go uh, first? So should we go alternating? Because otherwise you might end up not getting anything cool out there today. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, oh you're, you're that confident. Okay, let's go. With it. All right, so what you got? My first one is in 1887, um, the first female mayor was elected in the United States in a little town called Argonia in Kansas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now I had that one. Um, the 29th anniversary of the maiden voyage of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Yeah, that was one of the ones I had actually as well. Yeah. In 1983, yeah. Um, I have also, in 1964, the Beatles occupy the top five positions on the Billboard Hot 100 pop chart. That's quite oh, amazing. Yeah. That I th- is. I I've... think no one else did that after after them, actually. Uh, I've got the first temporary artificial heart was implanted today, 1969. Ooh, that's cool. I don't, I didn't, didn't. Uh, but another one I found interesting in 1968, um, Apollo 6 was launched. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, also Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated, 1968 as well. Oh, true. Actually, yes. And Microsoft was founded today um, as a partnership oh, really? between Bill Gates and Paul Allen in. Albuquerque, <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, I have one more. I had uh, vitamin C was isolated today, mm-hmm. 1932. So supplements everyone takes. Another, take, but. another good one. Um, today, um, Netscape Communications Corporation was founded under the original name Mosaic Communications Corporation. Uh-huh. That's in good. 1994. It seems that April the 4th is some sort of a really inspiring day for people. I don't know. What, what, Apparently. Really weird. Because <laughs> also today, uh, the US flag with the, that everyone's used to with the 13 stripes and one star for each state is mm-hmm. adopted today for, back in 1818. It's the 194th anniversary. Interesting. Yeah, something must be with April 4th. I don't know. <laughs> I think we never, ever had so many interesting things, actually. <laughs> yep. So, uh, 
I think you got anything else? That's it. No, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Okay, fair enough. Then. I mean, right, and so. I didn't. I didn't even go into birthday and you know, like death, death. and all that stuff. It was just like events. That's true. <laughs> oh, the birth of the Australian actor Heath Ledger was today. Ah, okay. He would have been thirty-three if he was still around. So, um, I hear you have a new Android phone. Yes, I that have. you're all excited about. I am actually quite excited about it because um, it is the first Android phone I'm using for a long, long time, which is a good experience. <laughs> if that, yeah, if that makes sense. So the story behind it is basically when I travel to Aussie a lot, right, and. Um, I always used prepaid over there with my old Google Nexus 1 Android phone, which is running Android 2.3 point something at the moment. Yeah. And um, I realized at some point that because I'm usually in Aussie for about a, a week per month in average, mm-hmm. um, that I just top it up with like one of those cap plans, which, you know, you, where you buy like 30 or $50 worth of stuff and you effectively get $500 worth of stuff, which is a yep. bit of a weird thing, but you know, that's how it works. That's fine. And yeah, then I, bur- I burn all that it's... credit, basically, all those hundreds of dollars in a week because, you know, knowing that I'm just there for a week, it doesn't really matter, basically. And I call Diana in New Zealand internationally over my mobile. I just don't care, really. And that works quite yep. well. But what I realized then is that for the same amount of money, I could just sign up to a plan and get a new phone for effectively free, basically. Yep. And that's what I did just the other week when I was was over there in Aussie. So I've got a contract with Virgin Mobile now, and they gave me mm-hmm. the um, Samsung Galaxy Nexus, which is the first phone or was the first phone that was um, delivered with Android 4 ice cream sandwich. That's got the ice cream sandwich. And I have to say that is a totally different ball game of user experience compared to everything that I've seen before with Android. And for the really? f- yeah, for the first time I would say this is probably a serious competitor for, you know, for as a mobile phone operating system for iOS from my point of view. So I've I've got a phone that's got what is it three point two or whatever it's called. Um, I assume you've used you've used a phone that's got got three point two on it before, yeah? No, because or my, some version of three. No, I never I never did because my Nexus One. Um, oh, from back in the day, yep. It's not from. It's not even that old. That's the thing. It's you know I bought it in two thousand. In 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 phone years, it's ancient. Well, I bought it in two thousand. Uh, 10, I think, in June 2010. So it's not even two years old. Yep. Oh, I'm not, sorry. Actually, it, yeah, I've got the, the versions don't be wrong because I'm looking at mine and it's Android version 2.3.5. Yeah, I've I got 2.3.6 actually. Okay, there you go. Okay. And the See, Android 3 hmm. is actually... Um, it's actually the tablet, tablet version. It's what is it called Honey, Honeycomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which, which Google just released four tablets, so it never really made it to phones. So your yeah. Galaxy tablet has probably Android 3, I would guess. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I got confused with the version. I'm just trying to get that wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I just found Android 4 is much more comfortable to use. So what are you, what are you appreciating more that you, uh, that you have now that um, you didn't have necessarily before? My my impression is the navigation makes much more sense. The way how you can 
um, place icons on the desktop or on the on the on, on you know on your mobile phone screen basically that you can arrange icons to groups. Um, a lot of operating systems and operating system workflows, like in the settings, for example, make much more sense to me now than okay. it ever did with Android 2. And the phone itself is much, much quicker. That's my impression. I mean, the phone itself would be quicker, but even though it's running a m more modern version of the operating system, it seems yep. to be um, still much, much more responsive and quicker and nicer than the Android 2 phone that I have. Okay. And I basically, you know, I, I even use it here at home on Wi-Fi uh, just to do certain things. And the fact that the Samsung Galaxy Nexus is actually quite large in terms of size and display size makes yep. it actually even a nice device to watch a video on or a TV show or something like that, um, which is really hard to do or was hard to do with the old Android phone I had, basically. So I have to say, yeah, I really, that. really like it. I mean, it's it's a nice operating system. It's you know, it works quite well, and it's a massive step up um, compared to Android two from my point of view. Cool. They still haven't solved a lot of the problems that I think Android has as an operating system <laughs> in terms of you know fragmentation. Fragmentation, yeah. And I you know, that. like device manufacturers tweaking Android and all that stuff. So I wouldn't really be comfortable buying I don't know whatever a Sony, Sony, whatever phone, where I'm not sure if I can upgrade the operating system easily without having to wait for Sony to deliver me something, or same with LG is, or Motorola or something like that. Yeah, but I think you're going to find that's true on a lot of phones. I mean, I've got a, a Galaxy S2, which I'm very happy with, but um, yeah, I'm waiting on the, the which one called the ice cream sandwich to come down to that, and hasn't See, happened that yet. That is really interesting because I. I thought the Galaxy, you know, um, S2 was some sort of the official Google phone for a while, and you would have uh -huh. you would have thought they would push well, an ice cream sandwich to that phone pretty much right away. I do know it's it's in testing. I'm with Vodafone. Um, Vodafone does a pretty decent job of of actually giving you a list of what what software versions are coming down the pipe and what stage they're at. So I do know it's in testing with Vodafone. It just hasn't they haven't finished doing whatever it is they're doing. So let me ask you a question. What has Vodafone have to test there? I mean Dunno. I guess they've got to add check stuff, make sure their add ons still work. Um they've got a few little add ons, but nothing I mean nothing too serious. Um make sure it works with their network. I'm sure there there's a bunch of stuff. Because um, God forbid, you know, I, I can understand as a telco, you know, if they're like oh, it's just software, it'll just work. And they push it out and suddenly no one can make any phone calls anymore because something's incompatible with their carrier systems for whatever reason. See, but that's you know. the thing. Vodafone shouldn't really push out anything at all because um, it's an open source operating system. You know, you should be able to just grab it from Google, really. And, or from, In theory. Or, or even from Samsung and put it on your phone. And Vodafone should have no say with that because you can just put in a different SIM card and run it on Optus or Virgin or whatever you want anyway. It's true. Um, unless the testing isn't happening at Vodafone and it's happening at Samsung and I've got my facts wrong. That, you know, that would maybe explain that. <laughs> uh, which makes which makes more sense. Uh, if I have a look... But uh, I mean, anyway, that, that, you know, that whole fragmentation yeah. is definitely an issue that the yeah. Android ecosystem has to deal with in some way and that's quite annoying. On the other hand, you could always, you know... 
unlock your phone and root it basically and then install whatever you want. And yep, yep, particularly yep. with the modern Samsung phones, the S2 or, you know, like even the uh, Galaxy S, I think, you, you should be able to run a customized version of the uh, script sandwich if you wanted to. So this is interesting. Okay, so yeah, it looks like I did get it wrong because I'm, I'm just looking at the, the Vodafone um, thing. It says, um, the table below lists all smartphones software updates submitted by manufacturers for testing. So it's coming from the manufacturer. So it's coming from um, it's coming from uh, Samsung themselves. So yeah, I can see here it says Galaxy S2, Vodafone variant, uh, current is 2.3.5, future is 4.0.3, and it says currently in testing. So there you go. Yeah, vo see, that's one of the things I already don't like. Vodafone variant. Oh, it makes me cringe. <laughs> well, yeah, every everything's going to have a little variant on it. I mean, it's, it's probably more more, you know, um, specific for a carrier or little apps that they put on specific to them. So I don't think I've seen anything major with it. You know, it, every, you know, when it loads up, it says Vodafone, you know, things like that. Hmm. It's sort of, I'm not, I'm not shocked by that sort of branding. Yeah, no, we know that Vodafone, particularly Vodafone is doing that quite a lot, but I still, I'm still not really think, I don't think it's a good idea. But yeah, yeah, that's me. That's fine. I could always root the phone, I suppose, but I'm not unhappy with it, so I haven't really bothered. Yeah, I rooted my my first Android phone, the Galaxy, yeah. um, the Nexus One, not the Galaxy, the Nexus One, um, about a week after I got it because I wanted to install um, Android 2.2 at the time because that was the first yeah. Android that could run the Flash Player. Ah, uh, oh, fun yeah. times, you know, like looking at the Flash Player on mobile today. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even bother? <laughs> yeah, no, I rooted uh, my HTC Desire, the first one I had. That was only because I was having so many frustrations with it around memory and all that sort of stuff. So I wanted to do the uh, the SD card swap over and stuff, oh, mm -hmm. which yeah. solved most of my issues. But yeah, buying a new phone solved all of them. So I was like, oh, that's so much easier. That's amazing, right? I mean, the, the um, Nexus S that I have now has 16 gig of memory. And I just had a look at my, my old one. My Nexus one had 512 um, oh, yeah. MB or something. It's like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it was like nothing. So, but anyway, I mean, talking about the mobile flash player, that yep. leads sort of into the next topic. Sort of. Um, well, kind of. And the topic is what's been going on with Flex. Have you followed that so, at all? I followed it a bit. Um, just uh, just chatting with a few people and, and reading what's going on with uh, the Apache project. Um, and also talking to, particularly talking to Justin McLean, who's on the committer, committers list for Apache Flex. Yeah, I was going to say that actually. You know, we've got someone from Aussie being a committer there now. We should get him on here actually. Yeah, we should. State, find out what's going on. So, what's your impression? Uh, it seems to be still going. I mean, that's cool, um, which is good, and I'm, I'm glad to those guys that it's all kind of coming together that way. I'm quite curious still to see how. Obviously, now there's a certain disconnect between the Flash Player and the Flex project, and I'm wondering whether that's going to cause issues in the long term or the short term. Yeah, from what I can see, um, I would agree that it's still going. That's you know yeah. definitely definitely true. I think the Apache project has to deal a lot with legal issues on Adobe's end at the moment. That's what my impression is. That Adobe okay, is yeah. not really, you know, getting the things out as quick as they promised they would. 
Which oh, yeah, they had a long laundry list of stuff that was going to come out, like um, the HTML5 com- compiler and a few other bits and pieces that I can't remember. Yeah, but there was there there have been some issues with even more basic stuff. I think the HTML5 that cross compiler cu- compiler thing yeah. that was sort of you know set to come out at some point 2012, being pushed yeah. over into Apache there. So that's fine. But, you know, some basic elements of the framework were missing for weeks and weeks and weeks, and the project couldn't really do anything without those. Oh, okay. That is sort of really annoying from, That's rough. from <laughs> what I can see, basically. You know, it's like, yeah. nah, you know what, Adobe, get your shit together, to be honest, you know, and push it out there. It's, it can't be that hard. <laughs> it's really, you know, what yeah. it is, basically. You know, you can't just hold up the whole process that long after you made the the step of basically kicking flex away in the first place and then making big promises so but i think they got some of that stuff sorted that's my impression and I've, I've seen recently a post on the flex dev list i think where um one of the people the steering people from apache basically got a new dump file from adobe with a whole lot of stuff that was going to be imported into the Apache subversion in mm. uh, in the near f- in the very near future. I'm not quite sure what exactly is in there, but it seems that there was another delivery basically with things. And what you said before with that disconnect and the fla- between the flash player, I think what sort of the the deal is or the commitment Adobe made um, is that they keep the flash player compatible to what is in flex 4.6 for the next five years if i'm not if i'm not wrong actually okay um so you you know people might totally validly ask what's the you know is that commitment worth the paper it's printed on or you know the screen space it's using because if shit hits the fan some exec in Adobe will just say, "Oh, we don't give, we don't care, you know, whatever. We just, yeah, we, we need to do something else. We can't well, keep up them." I suppose if you know, Flex is essentially written in AS3, right? So, is how can like assuming you could go in and 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 tweak whatever the action script ended up being? Um, well, how could the, you stop it from being compatible? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. The I, and I agree with that to a certain extent. It depends a bit on what Adobe's future plan with ActionScript is, though. And there is sort of talk of um, a new specification of ActionScript over the next uh, few years, basically. Where they but they still run VMs for... I mean, Flash still has a VM for ActionScript 2 in it. Yeah, it has basically two ActionScript VMs in there. It has one for yeah. ActionScript 1 and 2 and another one for ActionScript 3. And the first few bytes in a Swift file basically um, yeah. trigger the execution in a certain VM. Um, they could do something like that, sure. But, you know, you just don't know at the end of the day. It's true. And that's, you know, it's a trust issue, obviously. And yeah. I particularly admit to having big, big, big trust issues with anything Adobe is doing at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I can understand that completely. So, you know, it's. I think Apache Flex is still going and it doesn't look really too bad to me. Do you um, think the um, the Apache Flex community has shrunk since all this stuff's been going down? I've got no way to quantify that. I don't know if you do. I don't know. I didn't have a look into 
any numbers and I wouldn't even know where to get numbers from. Maybe that's something we yeah. could ask Justin, you know, and we really should get him on here because he's sort of, you know, an insider on that project yeah. now, basically. Um, I don't know. I, th- I still see people doing flex. And yeah. I just, just today and yesterday, I got two emails of people asking us to help them with flex projects. Where I thought yeah. like, oh, okay, that's a random, you know, statistical <laughs> happening. <laughs> I don't know, um, you know, and both look, both projects look to be actually interesting projects. And we've, you know, Kemple and I still have clients which do flex and air development because it's from a technical point of view the only alternative. You know, they do things that you can't at this stage do with HTML5. That's just what it is, basically. Yeah. Um, and from that point of view, I don't think it's going to die soon, but it it has sort of a bit of an unknown future. You know, it's that thing everyone knows it's going to go away, but the successor technology is not quite there yet. And it's that, you know, everyone feels sort of torn, I think, thinking, which direction do we head to? Do we you know, just throw it away and set on the new stuff? Or do we continue to do flex and that whole flash-based RIA thing? Yeah. And I don't know, you know, it's probably, it's really the best decision is, you know, make it based on the project and the lifetime of the project and what you want to achieve in your project. Really, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. So what happens to Flash on Linux? Oh, so Flash on Linux is a bit of an interesting one too. Um... What it basically seems to boil down to is, is Adobe's gone, eh, too hard. Uh, so I can't be bothered anymore. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what it pretty much boils down to, um, yeah, too, too small a user base, uh, can't be bothered, uh, too many implementations, screw it. <laughs> so as of, I think it was about two or three days ago, uh, the very last version of, of Flash came out for Linux. Um, but the interesting thing is, is um, their Google has kind of stepped up to the plate and said, "Look, what we'll do is, in Google Chrome, if you're using Google Chrome, you'll get the latest version of, of Flash, um, which which will actually be a bit of an interesting step. So it's kind of like saying um, we can support it on one browser because we know, you know, they they, they they've got some new plugin system that I can't remember the name of. Uh, if I looked at it." Uh, Flash Linux. Uh, Chrome's been. Um, here we go. Oh, is that that PP API thing? Yeah, is the PP Chrome? API thing, which they say they're gonna, if other browsers support it, then they can all plug in and live happily ever after. <laughs> um, which is, which if it works, I mean that'd be cool. Um, but uh, Pepper, they call it. Yeah, yep. it's really odd. Um, so basically, it's sort of like if you're on Linux and you want to use Flash. You have to use Chrome. End of story. That's so sort of what it boils down to. Is that something you see being an issue? Or is that uh, something... Use, interesting. I use Chromium now, um, the open source, the, the, the non-Google branded version, mm-hmm. basically because it's, uh, the, the distribution is kind of bundled in with, uh, bundled in with uh, uh, software repositories that are on Ubuntu. I was actually okay. very much considering moving over to Google Chrome anyway at some point whenever I upgrade my operating system just because there are certain features like if you ever want to play some of the games that come with Chrome um, 
you can't really do that in Chromium because there's some issues around the WebGL rendering and all sorts of fun stuff that way. So I was thinking about making the shift and seeing what that was like at some point anyway. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting one given that the Linux community is so much based around uh, choice and openness. Mm-hmm. Forcing people down a certain path is definitely going to cause a backlash. Um, but, you know, I guess, well, the Linux community is relatively small compared to, say, Mac or Windows that, you know, if, if you scream in space, no one necessarily hears you. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the things I would agree with. You know, when you probably look at the market shares yeah. for desktop Linux versus desktop Mac and Windows, it must be reasonably tiny. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I guess we'll kind of have to just put up with it and, and that's about it. Um, the only other possible repercussion that I can think of is there are a lot of hardcore developers who run Linux, you know, um, or you may find it's actually the guys that run Linux are more of your software developer sort of people mm-hmm. uh, and there may be necessarily be sort of a follow-through from that. But that being said, there's just a huge community who runs Mac and Windows anyway who are developers, so, you know, maybe who cares. Um, so it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it's good that, Groom's, that Google Chrome has sort of stepped up to the plate and good for them. That's great. Um, I don't know, but at the same token, you know, it's just like, it's like every so often I, I have an Air t-shirt where it says Air is everywhere on it oh, and yeah. I kind of wear it and I, mm-hmm. ch- and I chuckle to myself because it's like, no, it's not. Um, and even Adobe's still putting out sort of statements where it says Air is everywhere. And it's like, well, no, no, that's not entirely true. You can't really make that statement anymore and you can't really make that statement about the Flash Player anymore. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it makes me just watching what's going on with, with Flash on Linux and then, you know, from previously Flash on mobile and all that sort of stuff, it does make me question what Adobe's up to these days where they're really feeling the need to pull back those resources. That's, well, sort of, that's sort of where I'm kind of wondering, you know, what's, what's going on there that makes them go, you know what, we're not going to expend the energy we had in the sector where we had it before. What's, well, what's changing? I mean, I think the main driver for change is that they've realized that more and more stuff is going towards mobile in terms of web development and, you know, mm. usage of web from an end, end user's point of view. Yeah. And that they obviously, with setting pretty much everything on the Flash platform, they are going to lose big time. I mean, and that, yeah. that's fair enough. That's true, you know. And yeah. personally, I don't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Steve Jobs killed Flash on mobile. That's bullshit. That's just yeah. not true. Adobe killed Flash on mobile because no, Adobe wasn't, wasn't committed to it. That's really what yeah. it is, basically. No, I agree. Um, and, but I can see, on the other hand, you know, to to basically say something positive about Adobe and Flash Mobile, it is tremendously hard, right? If you want to build a Flash player that runs well on pretty much every single mobile running Android and iOS, it is it requires a lot of effort, I, I suppose. And, you know, if you look at what the reality is out there in the market, yeah. no, no one really missed Flash on a phone. I personally didn't much, to be honest. Not in a browser. Yeah. And you can still, you know, you can develop Flash content and you can write Flex app and compile it to a native app and that's fine. I have no problem with that. But, you know, like running a Flash player in the browser was always a bit of an odd experience on a touchscreen device from my point of view anyway. So, you know, I think that's a fair call and they just shifted resources massively towards 
HTML5 tooling and gaming in the case of Flash, basically. Which, again, is a fair fair thing to do, I guess. Um, And, you know, my... I agree with a lot of technical decisions they made. The thing I don't agree with is, you know, the way how they executed those decisions. But that's, you know, just me, basically. Well, coming at it from another perspective, I mean, they've obviously got this huge, huge, huge push on gaming and Flash. And basically trying to be the platform that if you want to do um, almost desktop-style gaming in in either a web browser of some kind, Mm -hmm. that Flash is the way. Now, obviously, that... That could necessarily be up for debate, but that's sort of where they seem to be pushing things. Um, so I can kind of see, especially on the Linux platform, um, their motives for doing that. Um, I have seen blog posts many years past about how they had real issues trying to get you know certain things, certain rendering stuff to happen on Linux um, because of obviously the very open nature of it. Um, so being able to say, okay, yes, Linux is a very small market, but we want to support them to a degree because um, at the moment I think stage 3D doesn't work, a lot of stuff doesn't work and some stuff works on some browsers and not on others and mm-hmm. it's sort of really wishy-washy. Um, and, and I've even seen um, similar things. I know Chromium, like WebGL on, on Chromium works, like 3D, 3D acceleration works. Well, I think most of it works on, on Chrome, but if I run stuff in Firefox, it just runs like like really slow. You know, yeah. there's, there's already that issue there. Um, so they've basically said, okay, so Google's really behind what happens on, on Chrome and they've got all the 3D acceleration APIs. API is already hooked in, so you know, let's let them do the work that they're doing really well, so that when we do games on on Flash, you know, that's an that's an easy transition for something that is a market that's not huge but is very vocal. Um, so I can kind of see where they're coming from that way. So what I wonder though is why is Google doing that? You know, why is Google taking the flag and said, look, we'll go into a partnership deal with Adobe and we provide Flash Player for Linux? What's, you know what? what's their benefit? They get everyone using Chrome. Ooh, yes and no. Yeah, you know, like for Do you some know what I mean? for some things, you you might you know. Well, okay, let's start differently. So you have that that small market of Linux desktop users, right? Yeah. Compared to the the amount of people using Chrome on Windows and Mac, it must be tiny. I guess. You yeah. know, the amount of people you can bring over from using Firefox or whatever other browser on Linux to using yep. exclusively Chrome because of the Flash player, I think it's, you know, if you look at the absolute numbers, it's quite But the interesting really. thing is Google's always had a really strong drive for compatibility on Linux. Always. And, and and it's an interesting question as to why. And maybe it's just because they've got a lot of developers inside Google that use Linux and that's just the way it is. Um, but it's always true. Like even, you know, Google Hangouts, you know, if you want to do Google Talk, all that sort of stuff always has Linux plugins. Always, always, always. It's never, it's never any different or, you know, or unsupported. Um, I think the only exception I can think of is maybe, you know, Google Desktop. Um, I don't. I think it what, took a long time to come out on Linux. What is Linux? Google Desktop? Do you remember Google Desktop? Do you remember the, um, I remember about four or five years ago, in fact, not a little bit, where you could search your own desktop, so search for files. Oh, yes, I did, actually. Yeah, I remember, remember that. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that took a long time to come out for Linux, um, though I think it did eventually. Um, so, there were, I mean, there were a few things, I think maybe Picasa support. There were a few other min- miniature things, but in today's sort of ecosystem, 
for whatever reason, Google seems to be almost 100% behind Linux compatibility on all the things that they do, which is great. I mean, from my perspective, um, I'm I'm almost willing to bet that's because they've got a lot of people in house that use that use Linux. So if people are working on a project, that's something they just test on and they build for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Why they're why they're supporting the Flash Player specifically? I, I'd actually be willing to bet it's um, it's simply just to get people's mindset just in Chrome, like that's just you know where we want you. Um, I could be wrong, of course. The only other thing I can think of is yeah, they've just got people in there who want it, and so they've they've dedicated some resources to it. Um, and I, from what I'm seeing, Google Chrome's already put the work in for a lot of the APIs up to the underlying, you know, 3D acceleration stuff. So I'm willing to bet, um, and, and then maybe, you know what it may be, you know, they, they've been, this whatever this Pepper API is, um, may have been something they want to develop anyway. So this may be a good test case for it. Could be, yeah. Um, and maybe it was, was quite easy for Adobe to hook into that and then try yeah. to, you know, create an easier integration of the Flash Player in the future, where they don't have to build like a plugin version and an ActiveX control version and this and that, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Could, uh, could be. So all those things and more are possible, uh, or I could be completely wrong and, and totally off base. But um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. Or maybe it's an early sign of Google going Google buying Adobe. Ooh. You reckon? Really? No, it was more <laughs> not at all, dude. No, it was more like a you know very very long shot, and I just thought about it totally randomly. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, that, that, yeah, I don't see that making any sense whatsoever. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't really make a lot of sense. I agree. Yeah. Okay, so that's Flash and Flex and Flash on Linux. Um, in that whole discussion about. Adobe developments, we've found another interesting thing or that bubbled up a few days ago on a Confusion mailing list. And that was that um, Java, which is, as most listeners probably know, the underlying platform of ColdFusion, um, is going end of life, or Java 6 in particular, is going end of <laughs> <Yes>. life. <laughs> Java is dead. That's, Java, that's really good, guy. Yeah. <laughs> People run for their Java hills. Java 6 oh God, is going, going end down. of life in... November this year at some yep. point November 2012 and if you know if it's end of life it basically means there won't be any support from um, Oracle which you know support is always a quite loose term so who needs support for the Java platform but what it also means right. is um, there won't be any bug fixes anymore for for example security yep. issues and that becomes quite interesting right because um it raises two questions. Cold Fusion 10, the current beta out there, is based on Java 6. Yep. Um, and, you know, we don't know when Cold Fusion 10 is going to be released, but everyone is kind of assuming at some point this year. And then in November, Java 6 basically runs out of support. That could cause a bit of an issue. But also, what happens to older platforms like Cold Fusion 8 and Cold Fusion 9, which both are officially supported by Adobe? Yep. Um, okay, so I actually just in our doc I posted a thread which we'll put on the blog post um, to a discussion on Adobe Laser Confusion 10, and I can read. I'll read word for word what I'm seeing here from it looks like Hamant. 
Uh, it says CF10 will be supported on Java 7 before Java 6 end of life. It may or may not happen alongside CF10 release, but we plan to certify support before Java 6 end of life. Um, that makes a lot of sense, right? So the yep. current, it would basically mean the current beta is sitting on Java 6, and it might be that ColdFusion 10 final comes out with Java 7, or it will follow shortly after that. Shortly after, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet after, but that's just gut feeling more than anything else. Um, but it still doesn't answer the scenario for ColdFusion 8 and 9, right? Yeah, so uh, Kyle Type 3 asks exactly that question. Probably not the right forum. However, we'll ask, will CF8 and CF9, which along the CF10 run Java 6, also be certified for CF7? So, um, well, the interesting question is as well, before we step into that, is normally Adobe only supports two versions back of CF. So CF8, they might just go, we don't support that anymore. We're going to kick that to the curb once CF10 rolls out. Mm-hmm. Which is a valid a valid thing. So they may only look at CF9, but um, yeah. So actually, Herman actually says yes. We will be considering JDK strategy for all supported versions of Cold Fusion. So maybe that's what he's alluding to. Maybe he's saying you know when when ten comes out, you know eight's going to be gone. See you later. But you can't. And, they uh, can't. That's the thing. So if there is a a so-called end of life and support matrix on the Adobe website for each product, and oh, Col yeah. Cold Fusion eight. There are two levels of support. There's core support, which everyone gets, basically, who owns yep, the product. Yep. And then there's extended support, which I think you just get uh, if you have a support plan with Adobe. Right. right. You know, you pay an annual fee for yep. hotfixes and whatever. So, and ColdFusion 8 is in core support until July 2012. So that's yep. fine, right? Um, you could argue if... ColdFusion 8 is never going to make the move to Java 7. It will always have to stick on Java 6. But yep. by July 2012, it's out of the core support anyway. So, yeah, tough luck. But there is still that extended support until July 2014 for ColdFusion 8. Ah, which basically means issue. that at least for the customers who have that extended support, Adobe would have to do something, whatever that something is. You know, either... Mm. Either you know provide a hot a, I don't know a special hotfix for a security flaw in Java six in ColdFusion eight I don't yeah. know or maybe a solution could be that that cu those customers get a free upgrade to ColdFusion nine or ten I don't know what Adobe would do then yeah. to be honest you know but that has uh, its own inherent issues as well obviously yeah but you know I. Think they would have to come up with some solution, and with ColdFusion Nine, it's quite similar. Well, not not quite similar, but you know, similar in a certain way. There's core support and there's extended support. ColdFusion Nine is in core support for everyone until December 2014. So basically, ColdFusion Nine has to be supported for another, what is it, like two and a half years, and then yeah. uh, two more years until December 2016 in extended support. And that, when you think about it, that's quite a long time, actually. And I really wonder what the long-term strategy and solution for that is. I mean, you know, is you could probably argue is the JVM even part of a supportable Cold Fusion feature? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. You know, from a legal point of view, I think it's probably even arguable if it is. From a moral point of view, I think it's a no-brainer. It should be. 
because if I buy Cold Fusion, I yeah. buy the product Cold Fusion as a server well, installation, right? And you know, if Adobe decides yeah. to deliver me a JVM, it's part of the product. I'm pretty sure from a legal point of view, there is some other way to look at that, but that's how I see it from a. I would. I mean, I guess really, when it boils down to it, the only issues with like, say, if you're running CF8 and you're on Java 6, the only issues are security issues more than anything else. Yes. I mean, Java 6 does get time zone updates, things like that come through um, for, for their, their time zone stuff. I've seen that come through when, when updates come through quite often um, for when, when you know, different countries change their time zone dates and things like that or per year and things like that. Uh, I've seen that happen quite regularly. Um, obviously, I wouldn't figure that would be particularly hard to do, but obviously if Sun's not doing it or Oracle's not doing it, I should say, um, that's not something they want to be doing themselves. But security updates are really the big ones. Mm. Um, but that may not be something that they can really patch themselves. They may kind of be stuck between a rock and a hard place. It'd be interesting to see what they end up doing. Yeah, it would be really, really interesting. And I suppose I, it depends also how many support contracts they have. Yeah, and you wonder, you know, how many how many customers run into that issue in the first place. Like yeah. particularly the ex- what you said, the extended support. Um, and then running into a Java security issue and people haven't upgraded to ColdFusion 9 or 10 before that. So yeah. it might be a tiny number of clients anyway and then maybe they find a creative solution, uh, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah I, could, I could see that happening. You know, if you've only got maybe, a few, you know, being Adobe, maybe there's a few hundred of them, but, you know, then they may just turn around and say, look, let's just bump you up to a ColdFusion 9 we'll make it worth your while and that gets you off the platform and we don't have to support it, which saves us a lot of money in the long term and, you know, everyone's happy. Yeah, but, you know, that, like you said before, that could have its own issue if you have a really complicated setup, you know, who's going to pay for, for like, you know, yeah. people to do that upgrade to make sure code runs, the platform runs again, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, so, yeah, I suppose, it, you know, yeah, it's finding a mutual beneficial agreement. Yeah, I think so. What I find quite interesting... I think just thinking about it is um, Cold Fusion 10 being released on Java 6 and then being patched to Java 7 later. Mm. That because that is also not without issues, right? Let's say, let's just hypothetically say Cold Fusion 10 gets released in August or September yep. on Cold Fusion on Java 6, and then in November December there will be an updater pushing it to yep. Java 7 particularly with changing from one Java major release to another one, I can see a lot of changes to the JVM having happened and also like the way how you want to run your JVM in terms of memory settings, tuning, garbage collection, yep. all that stuff, right? So Yeah, if they're splitting that up, I mean, you'd want to make sure, you'd almost want to release um, CF10 soon. Oh, you, you, I mean, you, the other point is if, if there is a commitment of releasing Java 7 before the Java 6 Oracle yeah, support yeah, well, runs out, you might yeah. basically say, you know, I just wait until the first updater is released to bring me to Java 7, and then I set up my new system. Because, you know, why should I bother for two months and then retweaking everything again afterwards? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, so I, I actually really hope they push out Java 7 with the final release right away. Yeah, and don't no, do that, that makes up, a lot of update sense. Thing. Because I'd, I'd almost be really scared where I'd be like, okay, so they've come out, you know, say, say they release, I don't know, I'm picking an arbitrary date in my head, say August, for example. Um, they release in August. November's the time when the EOL happens. So maybe the latest, they could probably release um, 
they could probably release the updater is maybe September. So you have a month where you've got a supported JVM to test out a whole new JDK. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not bad. But if something goes horribly wrong, you and know, that's it's yeah. it's just pushing it. Do you know what I mean? It's totally pushing it. And also, you know, think about a non-vanilla Cold Fusion side where you do a lot of Java yeah. integration and have written your you know third-party Java uh, your own Java code or third-party Java libraries and all that stuff. Yeah, there's then, a whole second testing. Yeah, yeah, because you have to make sure that that stuff also works well with um, with Java Seven, basically. Yeah, and that is just a nightmare, you know. And it's so, a little, it's, yeah, it's so it's very much a case of okay, maybe maybe people would wait, you know. Yeah. It's like okay, we're just going to wait for the update to come out with Java Seven support because we don't want to go through this update cycle twice. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, now I get that completely. Yeah, yeah. very interesting times. So, um, what's our next topic? Oh, where's the document gone? Here we go. So you wanted to talk about um, Adobe's general move to the cloud sort of well, Not really stuff. about the general move to the cloud. I just thought I'm that, not- you know, I think Creative Suite CS6 is probably not too far away, realistically. Okay. Um, the reason why I think that is there has been an official announcement of from Adobe saying if you buy CS 5.5, you know, between those and those dates, you actually get CS 6 when it's being released. You know oh, that. fair enough. Yep. So that, that, that's the sort of a deal they always have. And that offer basically ends on May 6th. Okay. Um, which makes me think, given that they always, like, you know, announce new releases of Creative Suite like a month before, we're probably mm. not really far away from a public announcement of the yep. public release date of CS6. And with CS6, they also said they want to do that whole Creative Cloud thing, basically, where you subscribe to, you know, the Creative Cloud, and then along the along the way, you always get also get, like, licenses to pretty much all the CS6 tools and some other bits and pieces like the Adobe... Um, touch apps and Adobe Edge and Adobe Muse and a few other things for a monthly subscription. Yeah. Which on paper sounds like a really good deal, basically. Because Mm. I think the suggestion was you pay 50 US a month and you get Creative Cloud with all the tooling with um, uh, 20 gig storage and all the touch apps, basically. And 50 US a month it comes to 600 a year. Probably there is some sort of a discount if you buy it for a whole year or subscribe to it for a whole year, I guess. So let's say you pay five, five, 600 US for a year. Given that, you know, a CS6 master collection sets you back two and a half grand US if you, you know, buy it in the shop. That is pretty much, you know, half the price if you consider the shelf life of one release two years. Which is okay. quite nice, actually, when you think about it that way. It opens a whole bunch of questions, though. Um, one is um, pricing, and particularly international pricing. Like That's you know, the, the fifty US dollars <laughs> is nice, but given the exchange rate, I expect 
that to be converted to, you know, not more than 50 Aussie, obviously, because it's yep. pretty much exactly, you know, or I think the Aussie dollar is actually better than the US dollar at it's the moment. It's just even. better most of the moment, yeah. So it should, should even that. be cheaper. But, you know, realistically, from experience, what we're going to see is like 50 US and 100 Australian or something like that. Yeah, we get screwed. Which basically for me means, you know, I'm, I'm not be going to do it. And then I'd rather, you know, pick up a copy of CS6 if I want to buy one in the shop in the US when I'm there the next time and take it back with me on the plane or, you yep. know, buy a serial number online or something like that. Yep, yep. So I think international pricing could throw that whole cloud movement quite off the rails, to be honest, because less or people will even be less sympathetic with adobe of you know with adobe saying oh you know the it's the localization cost and the uh, local taxes and running a local distribution because if it's actually in the cloud and you just download it there's no justification yeah. whatsoever for a higher tax or for a higher price due to taxes and local distribution um yeah, and we've and we've all. talked about this before. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, it's never made any sense to any of us, and and you, that's why you end up with people buying stuff from overseas. I mean, so it's just... yeah, that would be an interesting interesting thing to see. And the other thing, I'm kind of a bit worried about is Adobe's licensing model or licensing servers, because the Creative Cloud is supposed to work in a way where you download the tools to your computer still. So you know the software is still yeah. installed. And it does regular license checks, and with all the, you know, stuff that's going on with Adobe's licensing licensing system and the issues, just I had a few months ago, I, I really struggle to have trust in, you know, that working flawlessly. And I can see a lot of people spending a lot of time, um, on the phone talking to some clueless hotline people, uh, <coughs> about software activation, in Creative Cloud. To be honest, you know, I'm totally happy if i'm positive if i'm surprised you know in a good way but it wouldn't really um surprise me at all if that's one of the outcomes so i guess it's a bit you know a waiting game like let's just see how that goes and how they survive the first six months of creative cloud and then you can probably make a call on if that's going to be successful or rather not (laughs) fair enough i know nothing about csx or creative cloud so i can very little to speak to it, really. There are some really cool CS6 tools around already. I mean, Photoshop CS6 is in beta, and yeah. that's, um, people can just grab it from labs.adobe.com. And there are, I mean, I'm not a heavy Photoshop user, but I just had a brief look at it a few days ago. And there are a few new features um, that they've built in that make your life really much, much easier. And obviously, I mean, all the other you know, Creative Suite 6 tools are in private beta at this stage as well. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, neither of us can really comment and even say if we are on either of those betas. But I'm quite confident that some other tools um, have made some progress. Good. Good. <laughs> Good. Yay. I have nothing to say about that. No, that's fine. That's that's all right. Um, um, what do you think stuff. of Adobe... Sorry, what do you think of Adobe in general in the direction they are heading towards? Ooh. Yeah, it's an interesting one. They 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 seem to keep pissing people off really. <laughs> which is a which is an interesting one. Um obviously, you know, there's they've obviously got a direction in mind, I think. 
I'm just not entirely sure if it's coming across. I wonder if most of Adobe's issues really are more around PR and, and messaging than almost anything else. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Because they, they obviously seem to have... They seem to they seem to have an idea, at least I hope so, um, around where they want to go with with certain technologies. Obviously, Flash, uh, where they're going around HTML. They've been talking about HTML five a lot. I'm seeing a lot of their their evangelists and product teams. You know, they're twittering about being at at, at JS and, and HTML events, where it was before they would have necessarily been at Flex events, for example. Um, seeing that happen a lot, so they seem to have a direction there. But it just seems like time and time again, they just can't handle their messaging out to their consumers. And the community members. And I think it's a lot of it is being disconnected from reality. I think a lot of people who make those decisions sit some sort of in an ivory tower somewhere in San Jose and make those decisions basically without consulting with people at least semi in the field. Do you no. think that's the case, or do you think somebody's trying to make a hard decision early on to try and save? Like they know that they're going to piss people off, and they know that uh, it's not going to be well received. But in the long run, it's sort of like you know we're going to cut off this infected limb. It's not great, but we know we have to do it, so we might as well do it now because it's going to save the rest of the body. You know, do you think that's sort of that perspective? Maybe it could be both, but even that, even that could be communicated better. You know, it's, it's true. Like, I agree with that completely. It's it's if you say, well, we don't want to make an investment into Flash for apps. That's totally fair enough, and that's where the whole you know direction is was going. But you still should be honest to people and just tell people, you know, that's what it is. Here you go. Yeah. You know, and not have community leaders being surprised. Oh, that's yeah. new, and you know, then yeah. you get like calls from potentially angry clients asking like. Well, you know, I thought you were a community leader. Why didn't you tell us about that? Or why didn't you even? Why don't you even know? Why did I have to yep. tell you that this just happened, or something like that? And that's yeah, what no, we've seen that. quite a lot, basically, in from Adobe at this at, at the in the last few months. And that's yeah, quite I bad. Yeah. And yeah, I wouldn't no, I agree with that completely. Yeah, the thing is, I wouldn't even blame, you know, departments like marketing or PR, because um, I think. You think that they don't know before anyone else does? I think they, or I know that they got very, very surprised by a lot of the things happening uh, last year. You know, it's yeah. like they just didn't get told and then they had to scramble um, a response within a few hours, basically, even though, you know, upper management knew about that for weeks and weeks and weeks and months, basically. Yeah. So I wouldn't blame them for responding badly, really, or you know, inappropriately, because they were never, a lot of. It's very hard to do yeah. that under under pressure. Yeah, yeah and you know, they enough. weren't given a choice. I think, I, from my point of view, it's upper management that's solely to be blamed for that. That's that's me. You know, that's my opinion. Yeah, it's um, it, it is it is an interesting that one, and it's sort of a rock and a hard place. Um, no, I agree. I mean, that's that's sort of the feeling I got. Like when I talk about sort of amputating an infected limb, like it's kind of, I feel like Adobe is going through a phase where they are sort of, you know, getting rid of dead weight. Mm -hmm. um, whether they're doing that correctly or not, I guess only time will tell. But it's sort of, I sort of have that feeling from that company where they really, they almost seem to be go back to their roots of, hey, we're a tooling company. You know, what, which, this is what we do. We we build really good tools. Which is interesting, right? Because when you think about that um, and you look back to the time before the Macromedia acquisition, mm. you know, they bought Macromedia f 
among other things, for their developer community and for their yep. developer platforms. Yeah, for their ecosystems, yeah. Is it a scenario that we see now where Adobe realizes that even though they, they purchased, yeah, even though they purchased Macromedia, they have no clue of how to deal with developers still after six years into that yeah. acquisition? I'm seriously wondering that. I mean, you know, you, you see Flex going by the wayside. Um, I almost wonder if it's sort of like, yeah, like we we can build. You know, this almost it almost feels like they sort of fell into this this Flex ecosystem. You know, it wasn't something they sort of planned on. Um, it came across with Macromedia, obviously, and it became huge, and that's great. And then they sort of didn't know necessarily what to do with it, maybe. Um, again, all supposition on my part. But uh, it sort of, yeah, it sort of makes you wonder. It does make you wonder where they've done that. Um, because you look at the stuff that the new endeavors they've got, and it seems to be, you know, we've got new tooling around HTML5. I mean, they're really pushing games on Flash, but it really, you know, that's that's really about the, you know, the Flash, the Flash building games on the Flash platform, and, and that's around the Flash tooling. So, you know, that that makes sense. Though they are looking for an alternate revenue stream, obviously, with the royalty stuff they're talking about now yep. with uh, with Flash, uh, which is interesting. We've seen a bit of interesting communication go around around that. Um, sort of seeing if they can pick up some of the the money that some of the big companies out there who have been making lots and lots of money off making games on the Flash platform and sort of, can we get some of that too? Which I'm curious to see how that pans out and does a little, I mean, it does kind of put, I get why they're doing it, but it still makes me kind of go, are you just being greedy? Yeah, a, a lot of people were saying that, but you know, realistically, when you look at other gaming engine platforms, yeah. you see very similar licensing models, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's not it's not totally unusual, and I actually, you know, unlike other a lot of other people, I'm actually quite happy and quite you know, or let's say neutral neutral to happy with that move by Adobe. Again, yeah. I think they could have sold that much much better. Yeah, messaging um, the, again. The the problem I have with it is basically so they release Flash Player eleven two. And they make, you know, those two premium features like Stage 3D and some other thing um, available under that royalty model. That's fine, right? But, you know, given all the stuff they've messed up in the last few months, if I was them, I would have basically rather said, you know what? Those are premium features. We give you those premium features for free as an apology to the developer community, to all the people we really annoyed, and to all the people we yeah. really, you know, put off the, the the rails in the last few months through our bad communication and bad marketing and bad positioning. Yeah. And by the way, in Flash Player eleven three, we're adding more premium features, and in Flash Player eleven four, we're adding something else. And from eleven three on, they will be, you know commercial under that royalty model if you make such and such revenue with it that's yeah. what i would have done but adobe to... seems to be so revenue focused at the moment like more so than i think i've ever seen them before i mean would you agree with that yeah i would mm-hmm. i agree um they, they really like let's just cut off the dead wood and let's see what other revenue streams we can pull in and you know which maybe Maybe someone's like, maybe we can see how much money we can make. Other things, that, I don't know if it's say if I could say as far as is it reek of desperation, but it it's like, why the sudden grab? It makes me question that. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't it's, know either. Maybe it's a way in the case of the Flash platform to 
you know, cash in on the Flash platform now before it's too late. Yeah, that could be one thing. Uh, because- you, think, you, you think it's sort of like that? They're sort of like, okay, we've, we've admitted to ourselves that HTML5 is the future. Let's see how much cash we can grab from this in the short term. Yeah, maybe, you know. Um, that could be one thing. The other thing is obviously Adobe being a you know public company in the US, it's that quarterly business thing and keeping shareholders happy. Although you think like, well, you know, looking at the share price and how it's going up and down and sideways and not really anywhere, um, I wonder if that's the right model compared to, for example, Apple, you know, that that didn't even pay dividends for gazillion of years until yeah. until recently. <laughs> And, <laughs> um, passed and, away. Yeah. and still, you know, still the share price is through the roof, basically. Yeah. So I think, again, it comes down to management. And I personally think Adobe's top management is, I don't know, substandard or subpar with whatever you want to call it, really. I don't yeah. think they're doing a really good job. They, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there is a change happening on that end at some point, yeah. not too far away. Maybe, maybe I mean, maybe that's just it. It's really, it's not really, you know, being driven. Well, we all like to think it's being driven by the customers and the developers. Maybe it's really being driven by share price. Yeah, all these Could well decisions. Be. Yeah. Could well be. So, uh, which which may be a good thing or a bad thing for the developer community at large. It's kind of it's almost, uh, it's 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 almost that sort of catch twenty two with public companies. It's like they they to to do a good job, they need to focus on their customers, but at the same time, they're completely responsible to their shareholders, which means they kind of sometimes are cross purpose to each other. Mm-hmm. Because to to do certain things, you know, to make money for their shareholders, yeah, I mean, you know, if if, if Adobe wanted to, they could completely screw Flash and try and rip everyone off and try and make money in the short term, which would be great for their shareholders, but completely obviously in the long term, you know, bad for their customers, and the customers end up getting killed, which means long term, you know, their 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 share price ends up getting screwed. But it's sort of yeah, maybe stuck between a rock and a hard place that way. Maybe they're looking at a way to try and budge their share price, and that's not, you know, not that I have any idea what their share price is or anything about it. I think it's sort of along the lines of 30, 40 US dollars, and, you know, yeah, like yeah. going back and forth between that, or maybe a bit lower, I don't know. But it's definitely, you know, not like super, super awesome. Yeah, I'm actually, now I'm looking at it, nothing, anything about shares. Not at all. This is definitely well outside my, uh, if actually, here's an interesting one. If anyone knows anything about shares and particularly Adobe shares and stuff about them, give us a buzz. Love to have you on the show. Be really interesting to talk about that further. Yeah, I agree. That would be really interesting to see how technology decisions drive and influence share price, basically. And vice versa, really. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone's interested, please, yeah, drop us a line. Cool. So we're talking for slightly more than an hour. Um, and we, again, didn't really get to. <laughs> all the things we wanted to talk about. Um, so we had the idea, or we still have that idea, of um, running a few shows in the future covering other languages yep. on the JVM or potentially not even on the JVM. Um, yep. Under the headline, what would you do if CF wasn't around from today on? Yep. That was sort of the working title. Um, and... You know, probably we're going to, or you guys are going to see a few more shows in the future where we get external people in talking about languages and talking about um, languages that the two of us actually, you know, discovered and looked into in in the last few weeks and months. 
and just have a bit of a chat what else is around there. Yeah, it should be should be an interesting exploration of outside the CFMO bubble. Yeah, what did you play with in recently, Mark? <sighs> I've actually been looking around a lot because this is a question I've been thinking about probably almost since the beginning of the year. Um, and, and, and really actually, honestly, on, on a personal note, really started... Um, realizing sort of on a personal level how how much I I was still stuck sort of inside the CFMO bubble and really didn't sort of look outside of it. While I know I sort of, I do, you know, and everyone knows I do a lot of stuff with Java integration and whatnot. Really didn't, didn't really still out, look outside. I kind of sat where I, was, where I was comfortable and didn't really look out. Um, so, yeah, it took, I've been taking a lot of time to, to really look at other languages, see what's out there, you know, see what the real best tool for the job is, not just what I'm good at and what I'm used to, mm-hmm. but depending on what it is I want to do, like what is the best tool for the job, um, which is sort of, you know, brought some interesting questions with it in and of itself. Um, but, yeah, I've been looking all over the place, some more in-depth, sore in others, uh, less in others. Um, had a had a good deep look at Groovy because that was a language I've been interested in for a long time. Groovy is very interesting. Um, had had a look at Python. Had a look at Ruby. Doing some study at the moment on Clojure. Um, been meaning to look further into Node.js above and beyond my sort of superficial uh, looking at it that currently stands. Um, so yeah, kind of in looking. I'm trying to think if there's anything else on that list. Uh, I've been wanting to have a look at Scala. That mm-hmm. interest is sort of waxed and waned, depending on some of the stuff I've been reading about it as well. Um, so I, I honestly, and, it, and it's very interesting too. I've been, I mean, I'm, I'm heading over to CF Objective in the United States in, in May to speak and present, um, and also attend, obviously. And I'm looking at the tracks I'm going to, and really like the majority of tracks I'm actually going to these days are the non-CFML ones, um, because I am really looking outside that that box to see what's out there. So, you know, I want to go to the JavaScript stuff. I want to go to stuff about, you know, Jenkins and um, see what people are interested in people are doing with that. Um, there's some presentations on the less CSS framework, things like that. So, yeah, no, definitely definitely sort of looking outside that box to see what's what's there and what's available. I know you, uh, you just got back from Clojure West. Yeah, that was awesome, actually. I really, really like Clojure and I like the Clojure community a lot, actually. It was a really good conference. Um, and, you know, as a side, if positive side effect, I had a chance to um, catch up with Sean Caulfield, who was there it. with his team, basically. So we had a really good time, actually. And, um, I, you know, I like Clojure more and more. It's a really interesting language. It's certainly not a, you know, not a fits-all-purpose language. It's, no. It has a specific or specific use cases, I think, where it's yep. good at. Um but you know, it's you know just one more thing to explore, basically, and it's fun to do. And I yeah, agree. No, you know, I... it's like um, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, want no, to no, no. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Um, and when you look at different languages, I mean, there are really interesting things out there. I mean, there's closure. I had a bit of a play with Erlang, but that's probably like oh, wow. two years ago. And yeah. I mean, that was one of the my first steps into functional programming again after you know years after uni obviously and i found erlang is interesting conceptually and you find that probably scala has a bunch of similar concepts like actors and that type of thing um but erlang was just nothing i could really get into and i you know because it doesn't run on the jvm it's pretty much impossible to integrate with the other stuff i'm doing so it was sort of not that successful in actually making use of it. But with yep. Clojure, there are tons of ways how you could even integrate it with, with Confusion. And Sean Caulfield has written a nice library to hook Clojure into CFML, basically. And it's, you know, it's yep. quite, quite fun. 
Yeah, no, um, I've, I'm very lightly into into my book on closure and, and the whole functional programming paradigm is really doing my head in, which is good fun, but I, totally confusing at the same time. Yeah, I see, I see chapter four and six in the book you're reading. That's where you get the like eye-opening effects probably. Where am I? I am currently on, uh, looking at my Kindle right now, uh, closure in action. I am currently in somewhere. <laughs> it doesn't tell me what, what one I'm in. But it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to sort of wrap my head around it. It's got some interesting concepts in there. And so I'm sure we can, we can talk about it more in depth. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting tool for some interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So yeah, that's what we're going to do in the future, I think. So um, yep. we'll get those shows on other languages on the JVM. Yeah, that Is sounds like good fun. Cool. Yeah. Alrighty, so we've got one hour, eight minutes. Um, we're eight minutes over our, you know, target length, target yep. duration. So let's just wrap it up for today, shall we? Okay. Cool. So, so how can people get hold of you, Mark, if they want to get in touch with you? People can get a hold of me on my really ugly website, compoundtheory.com. Uh, and they can also hassle me on Twitter, which is probably the best way, uh, at my usual handle there as neurotic. Uh, if people even want to, they can hit me up on Google+. Plus. Um, it's Mark Mandel on there. And uh, that's pretty much about it, I think, actually. Cool. And people can get hold of me on Twitter as Agent K. Um, my blog is blockinblack.de, which is currently offline, but will be online again after the um, Easter weekend, um, because I just need to time to upgrade a bunch of things and change a few things. And um, my email address is kai at ventigo-creative.co.nz. Yeah, and if anyone wants to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's 2ddu.com, D as in dog. Uh, and obviously our website address is 2ddu.com. Uh, sorry, our, our Twitter account is TDDU Podcast. I should get that I right. was going to say, actually. Something yeah, was I got that. I, something wasn't right there. So it's 2ddu Podcast is the Twitter account, and the URL is 2ddu.com. Alrighty, cool. It was um, a pleasure to spend an hour with you, Mark, as always. Pleasure spending an hour with you as well, Kai. And um, we'll talk soon to Wonderful. each other and all of you. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> cool. Bye-bye.